Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy Stories. We hope you enjoy finding out more about the personal journeys of your colleagues and their journey through the energy industry. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. This episode of Insider's Guide to Energy Stories is sponsored by Bedectus. For more information, please go to www.bedectus.com. Hello and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm really pleased to say that I've got Eddie Abrocter, uh, the co-founder and CTO of Raptor Maps with me here today. Uh, I think it should make for an interesting episode. So um, Eddie, pleasure to have you. Uh, would you introduce yourself for the audience, please? Sure thing. Thanks for so much for having me on the show, Will. So yes, my name's Eddie. I'm our, I'm our CTO. And let's see, I helped start the company about seven years ago with my co-founder, uh, Nikhil. And uh, let's see, I was originally an aerospace engineer and uh, turned into, yeah, renewable energy, I guess, uh, a radical, let's say, <laughs> a solar junkie. And uh, yeah, work, work every day with our uh, software team at Raptor Maps, uh, product team. I'll also venture over and work with our sales team and marketing team and be a little bit everywhere. Great. So uh, I'm, you know, just for the first kind of question, we should get into what Raptor Maps does. Could you give a, a kind of summary of, of what it is that you do? What makes your, your company special? Sure. Yeah. So we, we make um, software and uh, digital twin software for the solar industry. And there's many reasons why we do that. And depending on who you are, uh, you know, you may find different use in the in the product. But the overall points are to reduce soft costs, which are a big part of the solar industry, um, increase project return or have insight into how to potentially do that um, or, or know if, if maybe project returns aren't going to be exactly where they are and mitigate the risk earlier in the process. Um, yeah, and make it a more collaborative, transparent um, industry using data and, and software that lets you share things between different parties. Um, how does it do that? Uh, you know, w- what is the software and like, w- what's the product look like? Yeah, sure. Totally. So on the, let, let's say, for example, that you're concerned about um, uh, warranty claims. Uh, maybe you have some equipment on site uh, and, you know, you think most of it's going to be good, but maybe there's a percentage of it, just statistically speaking, that uh, will need to be issued a warranty claim. Um, well, if you go through that process, it's a lot of paperwork. You have to pull things together, disparate sources, uh, maybe you need a drone photo uh, from an inspection that shows a solar module uh, has has some type of issue. Uh, maybe you need the original flash test report or the serial numbers from it. And then maybe you need a field technician test. Um, so typically you'd pull that together. Maybe you put uh, your PDFs one place, you put in some kind of file storage, uh, you wrangle it all up, email it over to whoever's on the other side, um, and then they would uh, get back to you. But that's not really standard, right? Like how that's formatted, how you do it. Um, it, it could be, uh, it's going to take someone on the other end with, you know, a good amount of human intelligence to be like, do I have all the pieces? Can I actually issue this warranty claim? Uh, so if you use Raptor Maps, uh, you can simply just like share your account. You put in the email of the other person, they can get in there uh, and see that. And because we standardize all the data after a while, they've seen many reports that have come th- from Raptor Maps. Uh, so it starts to look familiar for them and uh, that really speeds up the whole process. So it helps standardize it. So that's just one example uh, of how you can use the software to help standardize a lot of the data to potentially you know, process warranty claim. It doesn't mean you'll get a warranty claim, but it makes it a lot easier for the receiving party. So it can act as a, as a really good like evidence base for those kinds of claims when there's uh, obviously a kind of business interest in there. Totally. 
Yeah. Okay. And is it useful for identifying errors with the panels as well? Is is that part of what it does? Like uh, separate to to um, knowing there's a problem and trying to source out the warranty, uh, is it about identifying where things are going wrong? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we also have a pretty uh, large part of our business is uh, aerial inspections or drone inspections. Uh, we also will use manned aircraft from time to time. Um, but in that part, we use a lot of image processing. So you might be a company that uh, has your own drones or means of collecting your own data. Um, and you would uh, submit that, like upload the images into our platform. Uh, then we have a software process that runs and analyzes all those images and will uh, produce that report uh, for you. So that, uh, yeah, that that's like another way that people will use the software. And in, and in that we find, I think it's maybe about 30 different types of issues on PV systems. Uh, sometimes they're module specific. It could be about trackers. Uh, it could be just land management. Like maybe there's a lot of vegetation that's growing up and, uh, you know, causing shading and things like that. Um, so yeah, so there's a number of things that get detected there. And then that can be used as input data. So maybe that's part of a warranty claim process, or maybe that's, you're trying to look across your whole portfolio and say, uh, what's my most common issue that I'm seeing and, and how can I help resolve that? And we'll help make a causation uh, case for it and, um, you know, uh, yeah, help help you resolve those issues. Uh, and what what makes uh, kind of camera technology and photography um, the best solution for this rather than maybe like electrical sensors that you could put, you know, outside of the solar panels? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a, it's a always evolving industry, how much sensoring and monitoring you do. Uh, most of the megawatts we, we um, handle are from utility size systems where uh, you still see a lot of central inverters <laughs> where, right. uh, you know, you might have one inverter covering a couple megawatts and uh, you look at that sensor data and you could say, okay, yeah, I'm not making as much power as I thought I was, but why? Uh, and the why might be as simple as, a, okay, I have some string outage. Or, or an issue in a combiner box. Um, but when you use an uh, image uh, technique um, or, or use drones to do this, you can say, oh, well, because there's a bunch of soiling that was kicked up by like this huge mud puddle <laughs> that's like near the panels or, oh, there's vegetation growing or it's an electrical issue. And I'm seeing that in the thermal imagery. Um, so it's not any of these other environmental conditions. So the uh, imagery piece of it, whether because we use thermal imagery, but also a uh, visible imagery uh, that, that gives you the why. And, and from a location standpoint, uh, it can pinpoint. Uh, where, where it is, where if you're just looking at through uh, like time series data, that that's pretty hard to glean, especially if you have central inverters. Now, as the industry uh, evolves, you're getting more and more uh, sensor data. Now you have a lot of string inverters and such that gives a little bit more resolution. But since our main software is a digital twin, uh, that data flows in. So we also connect to time series systems and you can click on a piece of equipment and a map of our software and uh, and, and like see the sensor data for that. So as the industry evolves, it still is an input to the digital twin. Okay, so that, that could also be a part of it. It's not just, not just pictures, it's a kind of like holistic sort of recreation of the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that is why we call it digital twin because it's uh, whether you have the inspection data input, the time series coming in, uh, and then what you can do with that, uh, it's, it's all the pieces you try to put together. That's really interesting. I noticed that you, said that you could identify an electrical fault with the thermal imagery. Can it can it do that? It can identify one that's just not creating electricity just by its temperature. 
Yeah, yeah. Essentially, when those photons come in and and don't uh don't go into the electrical circuit, uh, that basically falls back down and reflects this infrared radiation. Um, so uh, panels or or strings that are offline appear hotter in, in the thermal imagery. Seven years ago, what do you think made it the right time to found a company like Raptor Maps? What what pieces came together that made it the right time for that? Yeah. So I mean, as we as we started the company, um, and Nikhil will tell you this to my, my co-founder, my piece was always thinking about the data and the software because I had a lot of experience with, with software systems, and that's where a lot of my passion was. Um, so I was thinking, how do you, yeah, like what, what is the, the big data type play? Like how do you collect and aggregate all this information in a way that's actually useful and how do you structure it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was kind of the original start goal. (laughs) Uh, And then how how do you get there? And at the time, uh, drones were really popular. So that was our first way uh, into the industry. As I said, Mm -hmm. now it's evolved to be this full digital twin system. But uh, we I was originally an aerospace engineer, um, Mm -hmm. but I knew about software. And um, at the time, drones were becoming very popular. Like there was a consumer drone wave. They were going to do everything. Beam beam the internet, you know, Uh, they were going to help deliver your food, like all all sorts of stuff. and the so the drone technology got much cheaper because in aerospace we there's drones and unmanned vehicles in in a military sense for many years, uh, but for the consumer to be able to use it and for commercial use cases was become really popular. And then the thermal imaging technology was also getting cheaper and easier to like plug and play. Uh, so then it only took a short matter of time before somebody flew it over a solar farm and was like, wait a second, you can see electrical issues that you can't see with the naked eye. Um, and then that created a cascade of, of the industry now today questioning, like, do we need to do ID curve tracing, which is like a manual test procedure? Can we just rely on uh, aerial inspections? So you say you're you're an aerospace engineer by background um you know you've worked at uh, like spacex and you did your um undergrad in, in aerospace engineering as you say um and i think your co-founder a, a similar story um what took you into the world of energy yeah yeah so uh, we, it, it is, so from like an energy perspective, like in an aerospace, you learn about thermodynamics, turbo machinery. So a lot of the turbines that you'll see in power plants and stuff are very similar to what happens in aerospace. So like from mm. a conceptual point of view, I was aware, <laughs> right. um, but I also, I studied more like, like rocket chemistry and like rocket engine t- type stuff and how you simulate all that. Um, cause I, I, I did, I, I did work at SpaceX. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so I guess energy as a physical concept, like very aware of, but when it came to like electricity and the grid, uh, I didn't study that in school, and it was something that was just a big a, a void in my knowledge. So as we started Raptor Maps, uh, I actually didn't know too much and had to to learn a ton. Um, but as as I did that, it was like various books I had read. Uh, and learning about like the grid, how it came to be, why it looks that way, what's the business model for it? Um, does this make sense? <laughs> mm. uh, and how did we get here? And um, yeah, that that was like super inspiring and really interesting. And I, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should have studied that back in undergrad. <laughs> like that would have also been really cool. Um, and uh, you know, then then because we were focused on the drone technology at the time, the industry had pulled us in. Um, because it was saying, hey, this method of doing inspections is 10 times faster. It's much cheaper. And in the solar industry, 
with a, uh, you know, as prices, as you put more solar on the grid, uh, you know, it has to get cheaper and cheaper. That mm. also means your technology has to improve. You have to find efficiencies continually. Yeah. So it's a it's an industry that that adopts technology amazingly well and really open is open minded and wants to do that. Opposed to other industries where, um, oh, we could do that, but we tried it or there's regulation. You can't really, you know, <laughs> do it that way. So you got pulled in by um, through a kind of drone route. Where were you using those beforehand in in what else you were doing? Yeah, yeah. At the time, we we were getting into agriculture. Uh, so how do you? Um, it was always about sustainability. Like how do you reduce some, the amount of fertilizer being used, or how do you, um, you know, uh, like optimize your water usage? Which thermal imagery is a good way to to look at a lot of those things. Um, but at the same time, we were looking at. Um, transmission distribution power line inspections. Um, and then some of those customers are near the solar space. Uh, so then we started seeing, oh, this is like really interesting solar. And at the time we were in this um, lab space called Greentown Labs, which is based in Boston. And there's maybe like 100 or 200 companies there working in sustainability. So we were kind of always the odd company out because we weren't making like a new LED lighting system or a new solar panel technology. We were using drones and imaging all kinds of different things. Uh, but people like very famous people from the solar industry would show up, there'd be conferences. So we would say, hey, how's this thing? Like, how does this affect the industry? Um, and uh, get insight from them. And then we were like, okay, this is our niche. Like, this is where we really got to focus. Uh, and that led us to be, you know, I'd say today, some, somewhat of thought leaders in the industry and produce industry reports and understand the technology quite well. And, and uh, yeah, and aggregate uh, and put together all the pieces. Um, so, yeah. That's a really cool story. Uh, I'm interested about whether there was a... Uh, eureka moment you know uh that to use that kind of cliche where you know you and your co-founder kind of looked at each other and went like this is what we've got to do or or if it uh you know evolved a little bit more organically and and steadily um yeah so with with startups so we we went through y combinator uh back in 2016 mm -hmm. so coming out of that, we always had a very strong, uh, experimentation culture. Like, let's try it. Let's get it out there. Uh, do we have product market fit yet? Um, and, and as an early stage startup, you're always trying to iterate on that. Mm. Um, but I actually do, uh, recollect back to, we had, so we would, we would do this in kind of these two week cycles. It's very, uh, Y Combinator style or YC style is, you'd have a meeting at YC every two weeks and it'd be like, all right, what's, what's the latest. So we kept that cadence, uh, in our, in our company, uh, even till this day, we have a little bit of that cadence <laughs> at like 40 people. But, um, uh, we had one two week cycle where we said, Hey, there, there's been interest from people in the solar industry. Um, it seems really interesting. I think there is value here. We're not really sure why. Let's take a sales approach and a marketing approach, and let's just like focus on this week. Let's try to go find all the people, talk to them. Uh, let Let's like you know see if there's real product market fit there, and that became the entire company. But I remember that that meeting at Greentown in one of the conference rooms where we were like, "Let's try this." Right. Um, so I don't know if that was a eureka moment, but there was like a day that that set us on the path to be a solar a clear company. Moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, and what? One of my questions that I, I sort of thought of when I was thinking about your company and speaking to you, I, I thought, what are the other applications for this technology? Like, where, where's next? You know, say you're, uh, and, and you might not be, but say you're, you're kind of fixed in the energy industry. Could it be extended to wind turbines? Could it be, 
used on other things like what what's the immediate kind of next step for the technology yeah yeah that that's that's a really good question so yeah as as software it, it wouldn't be too crazy to say hey let, let's retool this and let's apply this concept to to other industries um we'll have folks from oil and gas all the time being like you're this is really cool it's like really helping the solar industry we love this like how can we do a pilot project? Like how, how could we um, do that? Or in wind, same, same thing. Uh, but the really important thing to us is, is tremendous amounts of focus and our belief in the, in the growth of the solar industry. So we actually are, are we want to go deeper and deeper and deeper in solar. Uh, and we care about that industry a tremendous amount. Um, and we just think there's so much room to run. Like there's so much more solar that has to get on the grid. Uh, we're, we're just really touching the surface of, of operations and maintenance, how to make construction companies better, how uh, asset owners uh, can leverage a lot of data as they're building uh, new sites, developers also also using that data. So we just feel like there's so much more to go to be the system of record in the solar industry uh, that we don't want to get uh, you know distracted by saying, oh, well, we could do this like pilot project over here. And yeah, they want to pay us like a decent amount of money, uh, but that just takes away from the focus and focuses everything in the startup. Now, I would say if you back up from that, I don't, I don't think like I'm not like, oh, solar's the way and all these other technologies aren't. I just think as a startup, it's very important as and as entrepreneur to like focus. So I really hope that the wind industry also grows really well. I hope what what's happening in fusion like really accelerates because uh, we need like many pieces to solve a much bigger uh like climate crisis but for us as our startup we're, we're focusing on solar and gonna make that industry be as competitive as it can be yeah that, that makes a lot of sense um so i want to want to go back a little bit to some of those early days in these these two-week cycles that you'd have um uh and and talk about what life was like then. Um, was it was it always plain sailing um, on the startup route, or or were there some tough times? Oh yeah, <laughs> let's see. So um, yeah, me, my my co-founder Nikhil is like an amazing person. We we get to talk to him some more, and um, it's been an incredible journey uh, working with him um, day in and day out. There was a time where I mentioned we we did YC, so we lived in. Uh, we lived in San Francisco at the time. And um, when we were working in agriculture, we had uh, spent 30 days traveling across Idaho and meeting as many farmers there as possible. We went up into Saskatchewan. We met with farmers up there. Um, so we were uh, working together really closely. We shared an apartment. You know, we were working right out of the apartment. We would, you know, share motel rooms and stuff and, and just be along this uh, journey together <laughs> as we tried to figure out what, what was, you know, the product market fit for Aftermaps. Um, but there's, I don't think there's ever a time where we didn't think we would figure it out. You know, we're just tremendous optimistic, uh, always, okay, well, that didn't work. Well, how about we try this? Or what if we like tweak it and spin it around and, and just like constant communication. So yeah, I don't ever remember a time that was like, oh man, it's not tough. Are we going to make it? Uh, it was always just, yeah, let's figure out how, how to move from here. What did we learn and, and keep going forward? Um, but yeah, some, I mean, we've had all kinds of, I guess, stories where we were some, some of the early days of the solar side too, where we would go out to solar farms and do inspections and we had a lot of information, but we, we wouldn't know exactly all the pieces of solar. So you just work really closely with some of your, um, customers and, um, yeah, just learn as much as you can. Yeah. There must've been a lot of time. It sounds like a lot of time on the road with Nikhil. Uh, it's probably imperative that you guys have a good relationship. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. We we were talking every day pretty much. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So yeah, you're, I guess, primarily a technology company, but you've, you've gotten really into the, into the energy industry. Um, how much do you kind of engage with the wider sector? We kind of touched on this a moment ago, but um, it, it kind of sounds from our conversation, like you don't see yourself just as a tech company like you're, you're really excited about solar pv but how much do you do you kind of feel part of the energy transition and do you like what's your engagement like with the wider transition yeah yeah that that's that's a great question um yeah we we feel i mean especially us as a company we feel like really uh at the crux and being able to have impact in our way right like we're, we're not creating a, a new physical technology um but um you know people that come work at our company maybe they're a previous software engineer at a big tech company where they said one day hey i want to be a part of 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 the climate crisis there's something i can do uh, where can i best leverage my software skills um and a company like raptor maps is a place where you you can apply that um so that the company overall culturally feels very uh, empowered to, that we that we actually do have impact, and even if we just focus on the soft costs of the industry, uh, that can make it uh, more financially viable and more and more bankable. Um, so yeah, so so like in the company, we will have um, you know learning sessions where we talk about different parts uh, of the sustainability, uh, like sustainability and and the challenges we face. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's core. I mean, we do we do focus in the solar industry, uh, but from people, we're always listening to all the different podcasts out there, discussing them internally, um, you know, debating what's better or what's not better, and, and such. So mm. yeah, absolutely. And appearing on podcasts as well now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. You can have a little listen back to this one, see if you can gain any kind of insight from yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You apply uh, machine learning um, to, um, I guess, to identify like what's actually a kind of defect in a solar panel. Mm-hmm. What is it that makes um, that makes machine learning rather than some kind of uh, deterministic solution like the the right one? Because I think there can be a lot of kind of in- inappropriate or incorrect uses of machine learning. Um, wh- what makes this a good one? Yeah, that that's a really good, really good question. So, uh, there, there's, I think when you think about Raptor Maps, one of the quickest ways to go to is like, oh, you have an image of something, so you're trying to like identify, you know, what what's in that image. And and classically, we think about like Google. It's like, okay, is it a cat or a dog in the image? Which mm-hmm. one is it, and how well can you do that? Or which 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 image has a stop sign in it, like those uh, you yeah, know, captures yeah. and things. Um, so that's kind of the classical thought on that. And, and um, I mean, machine learning has been tremendously good at, at image detection uh, for those reasons, but it's actually not the main, I mean, so we do that like that. That's, that's pretty, I would say that that's like table stakes. Um, but the more uh, specific part where we get into is it's heavily used in our localization algorithms um, and localization, meaning be like, okay, once you determine that there is an issue, um, where is that on the solar farm? And if you're like really up close with the drone image, that's very hard to do. <laughs> okay. uh, so uh, there's pretty much, some people think of it as like stitching algorithm, uh, which is mostly computer vision, the way people have done it before, but we've created a whole like ML process. Uh, so for things like um, 
can you detect the corner of a specific solar module like very accurately? Because um, you need to know that to align uh, the imagery to the digital twin that we create. Uh, so those are ML processes and actually neural networks that run to do that based off a ton of training data. And why, why ML is a good tool is because you can deal with a, a like a very wide range of, of uncertainty. So for instance, like in our backgrounds, right, it might be a desert a solar farm in Chile. It could be a grassland of a solar farm in Minnesota. Uh, it could be a roof uh, that has all kinds of like other types of infrastructure on top. Um, so ML over time can start to handle for a lot of that uncertainty, but there's always this boundary you're working against, which is like uh, when you're using training data, there's just things in the world that you haven't seen yet. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's always that boundary you're up against. And it's a constant process um, to say, how are we doing? Could we do better? Uh, so ML is, is, is a lot more about thinking about, yeah, how are we performing and monitoring that very closely? Uh, and, and then you think from the other side is like the customer, they don't really care. <laughs> so if you're like, hey, why didn't I get my, you know, my inspection report? Um, and you can be like, oh, well, the algorithm and it didn't work here. And this is because in the training day, it's like, yeah, can I just get the, just can I just get the end time. result? Yeah. 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 So that's why we also put a quality control process in place. Uh, so our, like the imagery, we do pass it through quality control uh, because we, we have certain standards and we know that our customers have those standards and they don't really care. Maybe, oh, we didn't see that yet in the training data. So like the algorithm didn't work. They don't care. They just want it to work. Um, so that's, that's also where the quality part of what we do um, is, is like incredibly important, but that's also feedback. Because if quality is low, that's feedback back into um, the algorithm, but also the engineers that are building these things and thinking about it. Right. And I guess it means that as your scale increases, you, you just get better and better at these things. You see all sorts of different shapes and sizes of solar farm and, uh, and just kind of volume of, of data. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and it's um, it goes further than um, as we're thinking about uh, applying that to all of our time series data and pairing that up because um, now we have a ton of like instances of the why of like, okay, why? Well, this is vegetation. Okay, well, what did all the other data inputs look like uh, at that point in time? And can we use those as predictors? And even our, uh, we have a, a mobile app where you can scan serial numbers to keep track of equipment. Uh, we, I mean, there's like image recognition type uh, algorithms that run inside that uh, to do that identification as well. So uh, we put it in all kinds of, I guess, sneaky places <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. where classically you'd be like, yeah, do, it may not be exactly what you think is ML. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose that makes it a really kind of scalable technology that um, do you, do you see it as being like the, the solution, you know, potentially like, wind farms everywhere will be using this one day yeah is it uh is it the i think i think it will be everywhere in some way shape or form um so like maybe you're uh maybe you're using uh, a mobile app to submit a work order but you're just doing voice to voice the text uh which has some element of of ML and natural language processing around it. Um, or yeah, maybe you may not realize that it runs in the localization algorithm. So I think it's going to be 
I think it's everywhere as as it gets incorporated by our software engineers. But is it like the big hammer? Like you just come in, you take all of the data, you put it all together, you put it into a big algorithm, and like boom, out here's the outcome. Like here's how you're going to reduce, or here's how you're going to increase the IRR of this project. I don't think we're quite there yet. Although that is like long term goal. Is mm. is can you get you know full? Yeah, like fully aware of the whole industry uh, intelligently through software. But I think we're, we're a ways off to do that. So it's like applying all these little pieces and, and take little steps every single day. And then when you look back, you're like, wow, that it actually is really complicated now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can decision-making support's important too. Right. So um, there's certain calls that, that, you know, a person's going to need to make. So if we can surface more data and say, Hey, by statistics, this seems like the best outcome, but like you choose because you might have other context. Um, I think that's all. That's going to be like an important step to get there is decision-making support. If I, if I asked you to fast forward 10 years, where would you say you'd, you'd like to be as a company? Like what, what, are you, what are you doing and what countries are you in? Um, what does that look like? Yeah, so today as, I mean, as software, we can be a lot of places really quickly. Um, so people use our software in about 40 different countries already, um, for which we calculate to be about 6% of the solar world's power production. Um, so, I mean, we want to make that 100%, I guess, <laughs> if we can. But I think, um, I think the, the, big, the big picture for us is we want to be an important uh, like software backbone to the solar industry. Um, so if you're, it's kind of like if you, if you think about your website or, or any, any website you go to, if you hop into the browser and you say, hey, don't allow any connections to Google, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden your fonts won't load, like all of a sudden analytics won't load, maybe some of the images that were served by Google Cloud won't load. So you'll start noticing that Google is, is like, it's really important and imperative to the backbone and the infrastructure of the internet. I mean, they built data centers, they put in fiber, uh, all these sorts of things. So our, our, our big vision for wrapped maps is that uh, we're able to be, um, you know, that, that relied on and, and important that, okay, yeah, I got this piece of data and okay, well, maybe not wrapped maps was like the logo you saw at the end, but somewhere under the hood, we helped get that data to you faster, or we helped make sure that the quality was good or clean or trusted uh, along the way. And if you, you know, blocked, you know, our, our domain and be like, oh, all of a sudden I can't like, that's weird. Like I'm not really using wrapped maps, but there was somehow involved in the process. One of our APIs helped do an important thing. Um, so that, that, that big vision is to be a, a system of record and do a lot of the record keeping for the industry. Um, Cause we believe that's going to be vital to to the transparency and the speed. And we're already seeing um, software engineers starting to take jobs at solar companies, wind companies, energy companies. Um, and as they, as solar, uh, as software engineers join these companies, they need tools. Like they, they need, oh yeah, I use this one package or I use this one uh, API or I use this one data standard. And software engineers were always building uh, with the tools that exist on top of other people to make more abstractions. Mm -hmm. So hopefully when those folks arrive more into the solar industry, they're like, oh great, Raptor Maps like already made this clean for me. I don't have to worry about this part of the process. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the result of all your hard work is that that the kind of levelized cost of electricity for solar just keeps going down. There's yeah. a certain point where, you know, we've been talking about solar's cost coming down a lot um, for, for many years now, and it's it's 
expected to decrease even further. But uh, there comes a point when you know you're you're, dry, you're having to drive down things that people like I wouldn't have even thought of. Like I, I wouldn't have thought, oh, there'll be an electrical fault. You can you can look at it with thermal imaging, and like that'll speed everything up, make it more efficient, reduce the cost. Um, but these are important steps to kind of bring on that advance. It's not just materials that that contribute to the to the cost of these things, is it? To- yeah, totally. And if you look at, I think 2021 NREL's numbers were around like 65% of the cost of solar was the non-hardware piece. Wow. Uh, so it, what's non-hardware? That's uh, the labor to do the install. It's the permitting, it's inspections, uh, the interconnection study that the energy company had to run. Um, but it's also, or, or the maintenance, right? Like over the years, but, uh, or customer cost, like customer acquisition costs, like marketing budgets. Um, but one of the big pieces in there is the cost of capital, uh, and financing, right? That's kind of part of the overhead. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, those rates that you can get because solar is fundamentally a project finance uh, driven industry. Um, so the rates you can get um, capital really matter uh, for these projects in the long run. Um, so then when you start thinking about, uh, okay, well, like how can I reduce the cost of capital? Uh, the name of the game is all about risk um, and risk. Uh, when a financier or investor is looking at this, it's like, how do I know that your numbers are right, that your error bars are correct. Yeah. And this, that I will get, you know, 12 or 13, percent IRR at like a certain time time frame yeah, yeah. and and that gets into data so if you knew okay this a similar solar farm of similar equipment um, in similar weather conditions produces that and I and I have data at scale um, you could you can make an argument to reduce the the risk that you're seeing and then that lets you reduce the cost of capital um, also if you get into like insurances and things like that um, where that those industries are so governed by just like really great data of like credit scores of company, like default rates, like things like that matter as well. Um, but to drive down soft costs, you also have to drive down, um, yeah, the, the financing and the risk perceived by the, by the financial industry. Um, and that's going to take big data, which is where we, <laughs> where we, where we like to think about it. Right. It seems my impression coming in was that this, this was a tool that could really effectively identify where you might need to, you know, send back a, a panel that had smashed or, you know, some bird had like pooped on a panel or something and you had <laughs> yeah, to just yeah. kind of wipe it off to make sure the sun could get into, into it. But there's so much more than that. And that's, I mean, that's even after half an hour of talking to you, I would not have kind of thought of that application um, where you can you can kind of reduce the cost of capital by providing all these data that you have. But it makes great yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned like, hey, a bird pooped on this panel. What's well, if you scale up and you knew, okay, like in this coastal region that happens all the time and all the currently existing solar farms, mm-hmm. then a person looking at an investment in a project there uh, will maybe take that into account and say, well, uh, actually soiling rates more like one and a half percent rather than one percent. And when you take that and pull that back on a 20, 30 year financial model, the, the net present value really gets affected, you know? <laughs> This has been really, really interesting. Um, I've loved, you know, hearing about about your company and about your journey into the energy industry and into this this cool technology. Thank you so much for joining me, Eddie. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, cheers. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Will.